Hello and welcome to Anybody, Everybody, the podcast that celebrates diverse bodies and body image. Through storytelling and science, this is a podcast where we explore the ways in which body image is experienced among different social identities, such as ethnicities and cultures, genders, body types and abilities, to better understand how we can promote healthier body image for everyone. I'm your host, body image researcher, Phaedra Longhurst, and every week I'll be asking an interviewee about their story to learn a new perspective on body image. Hello. Today I'm joined by Kim, who is a curious neurodiverse female who is very passionate about the representation of hidden disabilities and equal rights. Kim graduated from a postgraduate degree in 2017 and now works as a visual artist. She uses her work as a way to cope with the symptoms of her conditions and to help her understand the narratives that underpin society and the human condition. Now, there was that typical hiccup where I forgot to start recording. So I'm here today uh, just to introduce you to our conversation where we explore Kim's body image and how her late ADHD diagnosis informed her relationship with her body. We also talk about identity, the role of um, hidden disabilities in body image, but also feminism. I hope you enjoy. I felt like I had to mourn my old self and I felt like I had to then really emerge into um you know the the needs of 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 the of my condition and and um a lot of the kind of symptoms that kind of go with it which are all individualistic anyways um so yeah so kind of that's where i am right now and i do have um other conditions that overlap with um the autism slash adhd but my experience is i feel that um I mean, I could I could take this in in various ways, but I'm not sure that the 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 system is really um, I, I mean, like the medical system is really set up to help to um, diagnose females specifically, um, um, and I definitely think that there is more that could be done with um, like workplace education adjustments and things like that in supporting people, especially like women and girls, every, everyone, non-binary, everyone, um, in supporting them, um, you know, and understanding the different, um, the different, um, not severities, but the ways in which they manage their conditions while in, you know, like public spaces and, and, and different things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been an eye opener to how, um, how you uh, move and work and um, um, engage and integrate within society as a person with um, hidden disabilities. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely been, been an eye-opener in that regard, yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of go slightly off topic, just to kind of know a bit more about you, um, yeah. you mentioned um, your you're an artist and I was wondering yeah. what sort of medium you work with yeah sure so um I started working as an artist in about 2014 so um I suffered like a mild traumatic um head injury and then following that I also had like a an acute fracture from a fall um so 
I took a whole different career um, route after that. Um, I went into the arts from about 2016 working voluntary with like a tech startup. And um, I started doing the artwork as a hobby during that period. Um, and I was doing collages and um, really enjoying it and not really thinking too much about the the end goal or, or if I was really going to take it seriously. Um, but um, I really fell into it and I got into event curation and, and different bits and bobs and um, I ended up um, becoming a fully-fledged artist, I guess, after um, my master's in uh, 2018. Mm. And um, so I do a few things. So I work as a researcher, um, economy, and um, I, I, I like to look at um, archival studies and, and a lot of kind of cultural heritage, mm. and that definitely impacts the ways in which um, I kind of build... The, narr- um, the narrative around my artworks themselves. So, yeah, so I've, I've done digital collages, hand-cut collages. Um, I like to work with watercolours as well. Um, so getting back into painting and um, looking at different themes. So could you, uh, moving on to towards um, you, yourself, your body and your body image, could you tell us um, what your relationship with your body is like? So how you think, feel and behave. And from your perspective, has this relationship changed over time? Yeah, um, I definitely think that I always use, before I would say, before my diagnosis with ADHD and looking into the autism, um, I definitely felt somewhat um, detached um, in the sense that I had to uh, obtain these um, beauty and body image standards that were projected onto me um, by society. And um, I definitely feel that this had reflected perhaps in my... Um, emotional state as well um I remember when I realized that a way of coping with um uh, some disharmony in in a past relationship was retail therapy and when I realized that you know it's a it is a reflection of of the the ways in which you manage your emotions and how that impacts on your body image and I had medical issues as well with my thyroid, so I lost a lot of weight and, you know, people thought I had a, an ED and I didn't. And I found that to be um, very uh, disheartening. Um, so it took me a long while to come back from that. Um, but I also found that not only after my accident, but after the diagnosis, I started to go through this um not, not necessarily a reinvention, but I, it was um, a, a very long period of reframing what it meant to be me. You know, I was coming out of a, you know, a, what they call post-concussion syndrome. And I was learning about the mental health conditions that I had and how they overlap with one another. Mm-hmm. And of course, the way in which you see the world, it would, it does change. Um so therefore, 
um, the way in which you see yourself in the world um, tends to evolve in that respect. So I, I believe that, yes, I, I kind of grew into wanting to be the, the most authentic version of myself, but I did so um, <laughs> with great force um, because I was very much tired of trying to obtain such standards, whether or not it was through um, ad, you know, normal advertising or if it was social media or something like that. Um, so I definitely looked more into you know, self-love and understanding kind of how, to, how those small actions um, towards self really impact um your um yeah your inner voice and the the the, um self-confidence and self-esteem that you have within yourself because without that foundation um you know it's it's going to be it's hard enough having a disability but without that foundation you've got nothing to go back to if that makes sense so if you if you are like knocked off kilter without that kind of stabilised foundation that you have, that you've built within yourself, you're only going to feel that disconnection if you're, if society knocks you off because of your sensory processing or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I kind of felt that it was always going to be me. You know, I could never rely on something external that was going to bring me back to balance, that it always had to be me, that, that I was in control of managing the way that I looked at myself or managing the way that I, I presented myself in, you know, it was, it, that's, that's it. Yeah. Am I right in interpreting that? So by establishing a strong positive relationship with yourself and your body, that served as a foundation. And if any of the ways in which society would then kind of impact you from in terms of like your disability. So for example, you mentioned sensory processing. So, so say you were placed into quite a sensory demanding environment. If that knocks you off kilter, you would then feel, well, I have this foundational positive relationship with my body to help me withstand these sort of external pressures is that where you're coming from yeah yeah I think I think that's it I think that is part of it for sure um because I think it's um it's an internal perception uh, versus an external um reception Yeah. (laughs) yeah because um there are things that are necessary. I feel like there is definitely an overlap as well for women specifically because of the beauty standards and aging and blah, blah, blah. So I feel that that definitely that foundation, um, like as well with, you know, feminism and the fact that we are not, you know, the objectification of men and having to kind of be, uh, portrayed in this specific light mm. you know that it all kind of it, it's a coalescence really especially when you look at it from um, the perspective of a woman with a hidden disability who is 
in her prime, you know, in her 30s, you know, very career driven um, and yet managing all of these kind of different conditions as well as kind of aging and having to appeal to a potential partner. So it's like when you look at it from all of those different perspectives, there is there could potentially, if a person um, is finding it very difficult to navigate all those things, um, there is so much that could potentially go wrong mentally with that with that level of pressure. Yeah, and then someone someone could just kind of collapse, um, and and it and it ha- it happens to many people, and and something something's got to give. And I always found that it was, you have to kind of take these kind of, you know, sacrifices, but never with yourself. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to allow, like, perhaps, you know, you have to have that discernment and say, okay, a specific habit or a specific love interest or something like that, it's got to go. Because at the end of the day, like your um, sense um, of well-being, you know, and part of that is body image. You know, it's so, so important. And I guess you mentioned earlier about um, aspects of things like sensory processing, which is quite a huge yeah. aspect of being a neurodiverse individual. And I was wondering if you could say more about that, but also any other aspects about your neurodiversity that has somewhat, in, that you feel has informed how you your relationship with your body yeah yeah for sure um economy so i um i definitely so i used to wear a lot of other materials and different um uh, clothing items that now i would never wear um <laughs> i remember looking back at pictures and i thought how did I wear that dress? How was I comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I mean, it's really funny, but even now, you know, there are there are things that um, <laughs> things that I I still have and I touch and I I always think <laughs> I try to convince myself, oh, I'm going to like this one day. I don't know whether or not that's part of the ADHD <laughs> creeping in. And also a little bit of like the hoarder in me, um, which I've tried to tame a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I kept these pair of velvet trousers and I hate velvet. But I, I constantly say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to like them one day. They're going to be fine. But I know they won't. It's just they're a really nice pair of trousers that I don't want to get rid of. So how I guess how the sensory processing kind of, um impacted me in that way was most definitely with um my the, my clothing choices um it firstly I'm out of anything um I had to stop wearing kind of um tight clothing um just to understand what type of materials I was I was really um more um attracted and comfortable in mm. um so yeah, so I I definitely went through a period of of learning about that and um and as I mentioned, you know, velvet is a no go now. Um, but there um there are other things that I kind of have that I definitely have issues with, which is um light sensitivity. So I have light and sound sensitivity. I remember um 
specifically after my um but anyways it was really interesting to kind of learn and understand about that and I you know I kind of had to work all of those changes into my routines and and definitely when I am kind of outside or I have to go and travel on me for a work meeting or something I definitely have a routine after when I come home you know to sit in a dark room light an oil diffuser and put some lavender in and and I definitely have my comforts with you know going on YouTube and putting something that's um that um kind of you know brings me comfort um so I can calm down and desensitize mm. um from yeah all of all of the kind of outside things there are things that kind of really do like give me somewhat like physical pain um in the sense that <laughs> um pair of like sensitive gloves um because the lining is different (laughs) between different brands and I'm very aware of that um so yeah so I think it's just kind of it's everybody has their little things um but um yeah I think I definitely have glossed over um an array of of things that uh kind of impact me on a on pretty much a daily basis and I and I do think that I go through periods of um kind of eating um the the same thing or like uh dressing in like a comfortable fleece and I'll wear this for about a week um before I have to really kind of take the time (laughs) of deciding what the next comfortable item is um but yeah I, I find going outside is like the most difficult thing like I have to plan if I'm going outside like I have to also think about like okay I wear do I wear sunglasses um because I'm going on the tube and I don't like the UV lights and stuff um or like having my make making sure that my headphones are charged having like something to fidget with it's like all of those different decisions you know that you kind of really have to make and like understanding about the place that you're going to and you know I use all the pictures on the google maps and I look at like all the pictures in the venues and stuff so I kind of know where everything is and what everything's like before I even go there so and I don't know if this is quite a forward question to ask I'm wondering if when you're describing these sort of difficult moments do you ever feel like those sort of instances maybe impact your feeling of being connected with your body um because I guess speaking from a personal perspective as an autistic individual, having those yeah. sensory challenges kind of mm. really inhibits me feeling grounded within my body and within my environment. And I'm wondering if maybe do you feel that in those instances? And so therefore having these sensory challenges impacts your ability to have a, a, a healthy, established relationship with your body. Yeah, definitely. So I think I definitely feel that that's that was my reference before when I had said about being like off kilter. Um, And it's really, really interesting because it there are some instances I'm really trying hard to pick one. But when I'm knocked for six (laughs) and it is, it's really it's because I feel like I'm knocked off of center, like my 
I know that safe foods are a thing, right? And I didn't understand. I didn't understand it before, but um, I had to. I had to cut out jelly because jelly's got too much sugar. <laughs> so I, I, I. It used to be jelly and apples and cheese, um, but um, I had to cut out the jellies. But back to the apples. I had my processing was telling me, okay, have the apple because it's going to make you feel. It was a safe food moment. It's going to make you feel kind of censored, set, um, centered. And then immediately, because it, it wasn't the, um, you know, the, the sense, the taste sensory experience that I needed, mm. it, it, I, might, I felt like my whole world exploded. Yeah. Um, which obviously caused the outburst, the angry outburst. And um, yeah, I mean, those things can happen to... Um, autistic people in many different ways and um it's it's frightening and it's very um yeah it's 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 just it's scary and it's almost debilitating but it's not de- like it's not physically debilitating because with a hidden disability people can't automatically see your reaction they might just see it they might just see you and think, oh, she's in, a, she's in a huff or she's in a grump. But that's not what we're feeling because we can't always tell you what the, um, what the emotional and mental response is because we've, gone, we've internalized everything because our needs haven't been met by um, w- what we're reaching for, yeah. you know, or what we're, tr- what we're trying to grasp. Um, so, yeah, so with... Uh, with the apple, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate and say it was traumatizing, but it, it didn't bring me the comfort that I needed at the time. So then I had to like, I had to take a, um, I had to take like two extra steps to then realign myself, <laughs> um, not only to seek justice, <laughs> but um, but also yeah to then find something else that was going to bring me back to center to to center and um that's why I feel like sensory processing disorder is like a real real thing for sure and it's interesting when you mentioned about um I was kind of smiling for people who couldn't see (laughs) uh, when she mentioned about um wearing the same comfortable item for a week because that's exactly what I do I'm doing it right now and it's what I do every week and my fellow PhD student like my peers are like you just don't change and it's like well yeah because I now I haven't established my next comfortable item and and someone just yesterday said oh um do you remember back in COVID days where it was like okay to wear sweatpants and not wear bras and makeup I'm like I'm still here and I'm still doing it whether it's COVID or not and I'm thinking well to societal standards perhaps I look pretty um I could look a bit sloppy but I feel physically comfortable like it's warm and soft and yeah that makes me feel great so yeah um and I think when you feel better in your body and what's on you you kind of it's that positive it's that inner positivity demeanor, if you get what I mean. Absolutely. So yeah, do you know what's really funny? Because going back to this, like, so before 
I, I want it, so I'm going to call it like, um, <laughs> so yeah, pre-diagnosis. Um, I definitely felt as though like I was doing like the right thing um, with the whole like doing the makeup. And I remember going to uni when I was doing my um, my undergrad and I, I spend like an hour and a half getting ready for uni in the morning. And I look back thinking now, oh, bloody hell, you were crazy. You could have got some extra sleep. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, yeah. And I used to think that um, it, I was doing the right thing or that was the, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And I used to think to myself, like, why did I even care? Um, because at the end of the day, it's just like I wasn't really I wasn't really comfortable and I, I, I almost feel um like that that was a different me it, and I, I really do I really feel like that that whole process was a different me um because that having the late diagnosis really made me look at um how I used to present myself and I used to think to myself was I doing it as a way of masking like, did I subconsciously know? Because mm. I come, I come from a science background, anyways. Before I, I did art, I come from a science background, um, and my undergrad was in cognitive science. Um, so yeah, so I mean, this is all crazy. Like how it's yeah, it's just how it's really funny for me how it's all kind of come full circle. What you know, my my sim like masking not only kind of for society, but uh, visibly masking yeah. as well and I, I thought that's really really interesting because it's perhaps a difference between the way that um, um, males and females manage their condition there are so many times where I am not meeting the beauty standards of, of um, you know social media or whatever but you know not everybody is ex- is ex- the those expectations aren't upheld by everybody you know? and uh, but then you know we also as as autistic people we also have that understanding of like that um how do we how do we perceive um attraction like that's a whole other thing it is <laughs> that's I mean, a whole other thing and i think it's something worth pointing out and discussing because Oh, yeah, sure. I think for lots of people, attraction does play a huge part for their body image. And there is this whole kind of dimension among neurodiversity and in terms of things like attraction and sexuality and relationships and things like that. Um, It's just, yeah, it's just interesting because things like um, something worth pointing out is asexuality is so much more prevalent among neurodiverse particularly autistic individuals so how does that play into their body image because uh research does suggest that um asexual asexuality um basically is related to more negative body image and and they were that's interesting and the researchers were surprised because they felt well if one's um asexual maybe they would have felt lesser self-objectification they wouldn't feel this kind of pressure to objectify themselves for um i guess from a pet feminist perspective for the male gaze but 
it was the yeah. opposite and so and that's just how it's been left if anyone out there knows a bit more holler because I'm very interested yeah. because yeah. yeah that's just how it's been left and and uh the research was conducted among neurotypical which is something worth pointing out as well because so if they were to, to conduct the exact same research among autistic individuals would that change would that would there be a different relationship? Would it be more positively? Um, mm. Would there be a more positive relationship between asexuality and body image? So, yeah, like we've been saying, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to jump in and. Yeah, I absolutely. think it's. I was wondering if you could tell us or describe how being neurodiverse has positively kind of reinforced your relationship with your body i think when you're autistic i think you definitely become more self-aware of how important it is to look after yourself because you have so many specific individual needs because of the sensory processing that you you have to become so much more aware on, on a larger scale yeah um and for me personally that definitely did filter into um you know the things like um well-being in terms of nutrition and and um, if I've had a bad experience with um, with sensory processing, uh, there's some there's some like afternoons, evenings, even mornings or something, or even full days where I literally cannot function because something has happened that has knocked me off center, and I have to just like take that time out. I remember, I remember way before, like my diagnosis, that I used to be like really conscientious about specific features. Now I don't care. Yeah. I remember when I, when I, when I really was, I was, um, I had, I used to have like, um, what's the word when you have, um, not, not a stigma, but you're like, like more conscientious. Like when I, I was like conscientious about my hair, out mm. of all things, like because I was trying to again, keep up with the Joneses. Um, I remember when I was really, like, conscientious about um, smiling for some reason. Um, or And it was just really strange when I kind of think back about it. So, in a way, um, please tell me if I'm wrong, it almost seems as though, based on what you're describing, is that by having this diagnosis, often um, it's perceived... It's quite a negative thing for uh, rightfully so that women get diagnosed a lot later in life. But for you, I guess right. having that diagnosis, we Kate, has become quite a positive point in your life for you and yeah, just all dimensions of yourself beyond your body image. But it really seems like it's been it's proven to be a huge turning point and a positive one rather than a negative one. Or not entirely are, a negative. Okay. There are, of course, 100%. negatives. 100%. I definitely think, don't get me wrong, because with with the diagnosis and also with, like, the post-concussion, I definitely have my vulnerabilities. And they have become apparent in um, social situations where um, I've had negative experiences. Yeah. However... I'm extremely resilient um, to know that those negative experiences will not kind of impact um, the way in which I kind of view myself um, 
going forward. Yeah. So, yeah, I think overall, but also as well, those, um, I always believe that le- like lessons are a blessing type of thing. And there's always something to, to gain from, from, from that understanding. And, you know, I, I don't think, I feel like, you know, saying that you're, you have like these vulnerabilities or, and hidden disabilities, it shouldn't be perceived as a negativity. Um, because it's just, you know, we might need kind of like longer to engage or um, we all have kind of different needs. So, you know, it's just the way in which we're able to um, meet those needs. Um, but going back to what you said, I do think that um, the diagnosis, yeah, definitely um, did help me um, un- understand a lot more about myself it was an event that caused an unveiling and, and it has sparked a, a new conversation. I never was really concerned about my body image as a child. Yeah. You know, so I think like now that I've kind of come full circle and I feel like it's all about this authenticity um, within yourself and the way in which like you're present in your lived experience. Um, yeah, I think that's really what impacts like the the way in, in which we we think and i think also like that's what makes us like the best innovators the best thinkers of today all of those different divergent connections because we're so aware of um the all of the stimuli that we have to engage with on a daily basis in order to just maintain our, ourselves and our lived experiences mm. so yeah so that's why we're awesome <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I was one um so my final question for you is um how do you think society can better support neurodiverse individuals to have a healthier body image I think the first part is to understand more of the needs um of autistic people uh because the everyday society is not built for autistic people at all um and, you know, it's totally fine um, to uh, lessen the stigma towards that, first of all. Um, and I think that then from that, um, build a, a different narrative. You know, um, somebody once said to me that they don't like the term quirky because I know that a lot of autistic people get um, called quirky. Yeah. But um, have an association with... so. Although it might not be the best term for somebody else to call us quirky. Yeah, so I mean, there is a little bit of a contrast to that. So what I was going to say was that in terms of the way that it's um, portrayed in the media, I feel like that it's something that, you know, it could be, you know, in quotes, quirky. But if it's done in a way that's not, um, you know, it doesn't need to be um, overtly quirky or you know, I don't, I don't want like orange hearts everywhere to say, oh, this is an autistic campaign. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I, I feel like that there's so many um, different ways that um, media, like um, digital media can be utilized. Um, like I perhaps there's like a storytelling thing. It's yeah, I think there's so many different ways. But um, my personal, 
I don't know. My my I don't I don't know. I feel like that the, that's not that's not the final question. <laughs> I feel like that even though it's the final question, there isn't there isn't a closed answer to it. No, but I guess uh, one thing I want to interject um, based on what you uh, was saying earlier, which so regarding just about societal ideals and uh, the stigmatization of autism and neurodiversity is it relates to what you said kind of near the start of our conversation and that it's establishing the foundation of having a positive perception and relation with yourself that Mm -hmm. then really is only once that's established can can you really progress I I suppose um I don't know if you get where I'm coming from or where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I um, I didn't always. I d- I, you made me recall the fact that I, I definitely did struggle to get to this point, but I always knew what I had to do um, in order. Not in, um, I struggled to get here um, because... I thought, you know, I feel that we don't always know. What happens, I find, is that sometimes, especially with women, because we can always be, like, so um, always caring about those around us, that sometimes we can neglect our own needs, even as autistic women, and that can also, uh, you know, impact on our body image and the way that in which we have a connection with it. And I feel that what we can do is we, we can become these like people pleasers where we're always like thinking about caring for others or what people will think of us or blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you really just have to like <laughs> close the door and shut it all out, yeah. like both physically and mentally, because you do have to go through that recalibration process. And no matter how long that recalibration process takes, but I know also as well that women, autistic women, are so fiercely independent that when that penny drops and they recognise that, you know, I need to stop doing this for people or I need to stop overextending myself and I need to learn to say no to be able to kind of, like, focus on myself, like, it's those things that then allow, like, you to free up the time to like focus on your health, your well-being, and your body image, and the, your connection with self. That's really ultimately what I found. So I think that if there's a way of portraying that, you know, to ultimately like take the pressure off of women, not necessarily. And I do think that it's it also there's like a a, a con a, yeah a contradiction because it's like. You've, you've got the one side of, like, um, the post-feminist movement of, like, the oppression, the, this oppression that, we're, that, we're, that we have, but also um, the impact of that oppression is the fact that we, um, our intuitive response is to then um, overextend. We have to prove ourselves. We have to do more. We have to become these workaholics. We have to be able to juggle a job and have five children and cook and clean, right? So we're overextending ourselves. So imagine having or masking all of those undiagnosed kind of autistic or, or other conditions where, because you don't know, because you've never had the time to actually sit back 
and look at yourself or, or have the time to think or think, you know, about your health and your well-being. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. I really do. So it's the dualities between um, sexist kind of societal standards against women, but also that kind of impedes your ability to uh, be more in tuned with yourself. But also it's the fact that in society, although currently we are experiencing a better understanding and increased awareness about neurodiversity, but there's still a long way to go. And subsequently, um, particularly women don't have the adequate knowledge or education about what autism is among in women so how are we supposed to establish like this greater self-awareness when there's no information that really adequately describes their things to look out for if that makes sense so i think that's the next hopeful step in for how society can help improve body image for autistic peoples um, it's particularly among women is um having a feminist kind of stance towards it but also having a neurodiverse response or approach mm -hmm, to it mm -hmm. thank, thank you, you so much kim for sharing your life experiences and all your expertise <laughs> you have shared some thank you for amazing having me. perspectives and thank you so much thank you